when was the last time you played? Oh my goodness. So I have a toddler who's two years old. So I get the opportunity via her to play daily. Um, <laughs> so, so that's kind of a benefit. Although sometimes I need to remind myself that that's my job is to play with her. <laughs> that's, that's the thing to do. Because uh, we get so busy, right, of like running around and doing these things and, and being a grown up and having things that we forget the power in all of that. And it's such a funny thing, too, I think for your audience. It's, it's no surprise, maybe. But you realize how much for children play is about testing things, about learning things. And we later make it about like play is trivial and it's about fun only. But like kids are playing because that's how they sort things out. It's so interesting to think of how can we bring more of that to our adult world because maybe we could sort some more stuff out if we approached it differently. <laughs> we, we have a few things to sort out, don't we? <laughs> oh, a couple, a couple, just a couple. We could get there by Friday, it'd be perfect. <laughs> Welcome to Lead with a Dash of Play. Here we talk about the how and why of reclaiming playfulness as adults in order to build more connected, innovative, and human-centered workspaces. Isn't that what leadership is all about? I'm your host, Mary Hendra. Let's play. One of the play personalities often identified by Dr. Stuart Brown and others who research play is storytelling. Story has come up with other guests on this podcast, but I wanted to talk with someone who really leans into storytelling as play. I was introduced to Mike Ganino. Mike is an expert of self-expression, storytelling, and public speaking, working with authors, entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and, as you just heard, two-year-olds. Mike, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's always a uh, always an honor for someone to say like, hey, I want to talk to you. So I'm happy you asked. <laughs> you mentioned how with kids, we we recognize play is about learning and processing and discovering the boundaries and questioning things, mm. um, questioning their own boundaries, and that we lose some of that often as adults when we redefine it as frivolous or childish. How do you define play as an adult? I'm in this very fortunate place where my business is around performance coaching. So I work with people who are uh, public speakers or they're business owners or entrepreneurs, and they want to be really more themselves, yeah. more free, more expressive. They want to have higher level of self-expression when they're on camera or when they're on stage or in front of a group of people. And so I have this kind of fun built into so much of my work because we do get to play with our voice and play with our physicality uh, to kind of explore what's possible for them. So I get to have a little bit of that every day built into the work, whether that's that we're playing improv games to find new ways of approaching a story or new characters to uh, new ways to, to talk about the characters or the people in the in the stories they're sharing about their childhood or their lives or a work situation. Yeah. Um, and so I feel really fortunate that a lot of that is built in you know, to how we get to work. Yeah. So that's often what play looks like business-wise for, for me these days is the the storytelling, the physicality, like really just testing and playing around with it. So we get to, to, to goof around with that quite a bit. 
I love that. And and I have this picture of that performance art, the physicality of it, the playing with different voices or different framings, and how that could be really fun to develop a story. I imagine for some people, it's also challenging and maybe even a little frightening. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is that in general, we don't do, we don't sell like how to stop you being less nervous with public speaking and then surprise them with the performance side. We lead with that really. So they know a little bit of what they're coming into. It doesn't mean it's less scary, (laughs) but they know that they signed up for, I want to figure out how to use more of my voice or more of my physicality, or I want to, I want to bring props. I was just working with someone before our conversation here, and we were talking about how she could bring some different props into her work on stage to make it more compelling and more of an experience for the audience. So there's a little bit of, um, uh, I guess it's good marketing where they come in and they're not surprised by that, but it's yeah. still in the moment can be very frightening to say, go there. Yeah. Oh, you're at, you're at the edge of an emotion. You're at the edge of a creative bit for yourself. Go there. Because a lot yeah. of times going there, the reason that we've, um, the reason that we uh, show up the way we do on stage and on camera is because we've learned to hide parts of ourselves. We learned that parts of ourselves aren't acceptable. And so we create a version of ourselves that is for public consumption. And that self often um, is really putting a cork into who we could be. Yeah. So that's very scary sometimes to be like, now you're on camera or you're physically in a, in a space together working and, it, and we're saying to you, uncork it, let her out. Yeah. And you've been hiding her for protection for so long. So that could be definitely scary for folks, you're right. Uh, well, and at the same time, as I listen to you talk, you've talked about self-expression in play. You've talked about that we hide our true self if we're not playing, if we're not playful, if, and based on what we've been taught. So it seems like there is a lot of power in bringing a bit more playfulness into how we show up when we speak. Oh, for sure. For sure. Because there's so much of our ability to... You know, if you think of play as like a a utilitarian device, right, to learn, Mm -hmm. to test, to figure out where can I walk, where can I run, what's it like, how does this feel, you know, kids eventually play, um, play school and play teacher and play dress up and play, they're playing when they're playing with dolls, that's learning about nurturing and empathy and all these things. And so, which is so sad then to say that in so many parts of society, we take that away from little boys, by the way, they're like, we wonder why men and and boys have such issues right now with feelings and emotion and stuff. Well, it's because as a child, you told them they shouldn't be playing with dolls, which is where we learn that. So if that is true, then the same thing is true when we start to tap into what is the roundness of the stories we have to tell? What is the roundness, the full, and when I say roundness, I mean the full experience of it, the full full effect of, of this experience that you had. What did it feel like? What did it sound like? What do you want the audience to feel and sound? And it's just so different than a lot of people have approached public speaking because public speaking is always approached from such a like, say the right thing, be impressive, don't say um too many times, don't use your hands awkwardly versus saying, what if we focused on what we were trying to express? What would that look like? Yeah. I think about my own experience listening to really amazing storytellers, those who who can bring you in with their words and their and mm. their physicality, where even though you're just sitting in the audience, you feel like you're right in there in this journey with them. And even as an, an audience member, it's a different kind of listening when somebody oh, yeah. is really beautifully crafting that story. And it does feel much more playful than 
the rigor of speech making that is often taught. <laughs> Right. Um, but I imagine there's a, a bit of both when you're really working with somebody. It It is work. You're crafting something. There's a, a rigor in thinking and writing that contributes to it. And there's this playful letting yourself out. How do you balance mm -hmm. that? <laughs> it is all of that, as you said, because there is the part that also comes down to people really trying to figure out what am I what am I trying to say? Yeah. What is this? We, we often find ourselves asking them, what is this really about? what is this really about? And it's amazing where so often people find real clarity in their message, their overall message. Yeah. And then even down to like who I am and why I'm here coming from mm. that. But mm. that journey is never uh, a straight road. <laughs> yeah. And it's never an easy downhill path to get there, to come in and say, I want to give a talk. I want to, I want to share this idea I have. And then yeah. to be said, well, what is this really about? Where does this really come from? You know, yeah. and that's the kind of journey we take people on. And so it is rarely the parts of it that become unfun, mm -hmm. <laughs> unplayful. Uh, they ultimately become more fun by being more playful with it, by not approaching it as there is a right answer to how to open this, but merely to say there are multiple ways to open this. And it's about deciding what is the best, what gets you the best outcome here. But the journey to that is often really difficult because we're undoing years of being told, oh, you shouldn't play, you shouldn't be silly, you shouldn't use that full range of the voice that's available to you. Yeah. Um, you shouldn't use a prop, you shouldn't move this way or that way or something like that. And so we're often undoing a lot of societal, maybe some deep, uh, deep trauma stuff that's gone on for someone where yeah. how they are in the world, how we are in the world is always a response to what we've been through. Yeah. And undoing that sometimes is, is a, <laughs> It doesn't always feel playful. Yeah. Did you have to undo some of that yourself to be able to find ways to bring play into how you coach people or work with people or tell stories yourself? No, not at all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> of course. And and for years as a performer, that was my background as well was, was, you know, I was working all through my 20s, but also I was writing and I was performing. I was on stages, back, backstage, doing all kinds of things. And a huge part of that had to happen through that journey as well of mm. writing things. I remember being in Chicago and, and writing, you know, one person shows or writing two person shows and writing what we thought the audience wanted versus what we wanted to write, mm. writing what we thought was the right thing to say versus yeah. what we felt like saying. And so, so much of that for me was my own journey as an artist of going through that and saying like, oh, this thing of figuring out what is your ideal customer and what do they want you to say or do is just another way to, to not play and to try yeah. to find the right answer versus stumbling through your creative process, playing through it, trying mm -hmm. on different things, putting it on there. I was an improviser for so long as well, which is a lot about play. Yeah. And for me, that was a huge part of that. And then also as a coach later, I found myself doing the same thing of like, what is the right way to coach? What is the right way to package it? What is the right way to do this? There's an expectation that I'm a certain way and that the, yeah. the conversation is going to go a certain way. And so I definitely had to go through a journey of saying, wait, go back to why this is, <laughs> why this works in the first place. Like, you know, constantly kind of like doing yeah. the work on yourself as well. And, yeah. and finding that even in, in our own marketing and our own getting on stages and, and reminding ourselves, this is about expressing what we're here to express and not about saying the right thing for the audience, which yeah. can be really uh, tough, really tough to do.
you have to prepare yourself to be in a playful mood or does that come with you? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I probably, I would say that I do need to, I don't know. It depends a little bit. I think every time that I'm realizing that I'm about to go on camera and communicate or that I'm getting on a stage, I'm immediately in my performer's mindset, which tends to mm -hmm. have a more willing, because, because even in a, in a sure bet rehearsed show, mm -hmm. you have to stay open to that ability for play because something could go wrong and you need to be able to, to play with what happened to play yeah. with the reality of the situation. That's a very improvisational mindset. So I would say that in that case, in my professional world of getting on a stage or getting yeah. on a camera, uh, my mindset, my approach is always that that comes with me. Yeah. But I would say in other places, like I realized recently on my walk home that I would listen to podcasts yeah. and it would keep me in a work brain. And I'd get home and then it was very jarring for a two-year-old to come jumping on me and wanting to play. And my brain just wasn't in it. So I, for a week, didn't listen to anything. And then another week I was like, let me listen to music. And that really did shift how I then showed up when I opened the door because yeah. the podcast listening kept me thinking, okay, I'm learning. I'm, I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about ideas. I'm, I'm in that mindset Yeah. versus just like listening to Taylor Swift or listening to nothing and observing what I saw. I realized that that um, had really shaped my willingness to walk in and, and literally yeah. play with my daughter. Yeah. So when you're working with another person, are there things you do to help them shift into a playful mindset? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things of if someone shows up for coaching, the first thing I ask them to do can't be like some real, because for, for, for that world, we realize the, their issue with being playful is some protective device, right? Yeah. Like I'm not willing to be playful and go there and use all my stuff because I've been told that being this way is the safe way to be. Yeah. Okay. So to just have someone come on a camera or walk in a room and be like, all right, we're going to get goofy. They're still protecting themselves. So they're still yeah. not fully getting it. So they're done. And even when I'm working with people on a speech and they want the audience to do something like I want you, you're all going to jump and you're all going to do this. It's really a loss to do that at the beginning of the talk, because everyone is still mm -hmm. very trying to protect themselves and be safe. Yeah. So in a coaching session or in one of our live events where there's a group of people going through, you know, coaching and training on this, it really is a ramp up. Like you can't ask someone yeah. to do something that's very, uh, that risks a lot of status to them right off the bat, mm -hmm. that risks them looking, and which is really all of these things, but risks them looking bad, silly, stupid, playful, goofy, dumb, um, you know, you just can't do that right off the bat. You've got to get yeah. them to that place. But I would say that it's the intention of most of the sessions is to get them to that spot. Yeah. And so that's about creating safety to be playful. Yeah. Um, and it's about setting a boundary so they know that they can opt in and out, you know, yeah. all of those things that then allow them to drop the, uh, the guard they put up, which is what stops yeah. us from being playful um, yeah. so that they can say, okay, this is, I can go back in here if I need to. But let me tiptoe out of that. And I think it's just really hard to get people to walk into a room and do that right away. Yeah. Well, and it's it's also kind of sad that in our society, our fear of losing status can prevent us from doing the very things that help us build connections, convey a new idea clearly, or innovate and find a new way to be able to do something at all. Yeah. Yeah. And it it starts really young. It starts really young. You know, we have this, this, uh, 
Dr. Gabor Mate, who talks about um, trauma, he has this whole thing that he talks about with, at a very young age, we trade authenticity for attachment. Mm. You want me to stop crying so I'm a good boy so that you'll love me. You want me, we trade expressing ourselves for attachment. And a lot of times it's just normal. Like it's not that you had bad parents, it's just normal. Like my toddler right now is really in this phase of wanting to hit me all the time, uh, <laughs> playfully hit me, but she wants to be smacking me all the time. Yeah. Um, and I realize that I am buffering her expression, even if it's healthy and normal. Yeah. There's a very thin line there between yeah. like teaching her how to be in society and also quieting her impulses, which two-year-olds are full of. They have no control yeah. over that. And so this whole uh, this whole thing about status starts from a young age, really young yeah. age for us of like, let me trade, let me make trade-offs of what I want to express and how I want to be, how I want to carry myself in order to be loved, to be seen as masculine enough if you're a little boy, to be seen as um, polite enough if you're a little girl, to be seen as this way, this way, this way. And that starts really young. And yeah. by the time we get uh, to a certain age and we start listening to your show and someone's on here talking about it, we haven't thought about it in years of like, oh, this isn't just about a meeting where I don't yeah. want to look silly. This goes back where yeah. I have been filtering myself since yeah. I was little. And, and in ways that we do need to to survive in a modern society like we do, yeah. but it uh, it doesn't it doesn't stop there and it shows up in every boardroom shows up in every TV talk show it shows yeah. up in every meeting that that desire to not lose status because there's such fear. Uh, yeah. And and rightfully so fear yeah. about it um, all the time yeah yeah. What do you think it would take for us to change the culture in professional spaces to be more inviting for play? Well, now you're asking me to really jump out of my progressive soapbox here, <laughs> Mary. Some of it is really so. So here's here's my example for this. So in my 20s, in my early 20s, I was uh, I was a flight attendant, and then 9/11 happened, and I got laid off. So I was living in Chicago, far, far from the, the small, tiny little desert town I grew up in. And I wanted to do theater. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on shows. I wanted to do all of that work. And I was getting booked. And like when I was a flight attendant, I was able to do it and get my schedule to work to do. Yeah. I did some commercials and things like that. But I am type one diabetic. And so I needed health insurance. Yeah. And at the time, this was before like Starbucks was offering health insurance or anything like that. The only way to have health insurance was to have a full time job. So yeah. I really had to put my desire to be a performer, to write and do all of that. And the back burner of having a job that provided me with with health insurance. Yeah. So then, you know, Affordable Care Act came here in the United States and, and offered a way still very expensive, but at least offered a way because previously I couldn't even get covered anywhere because of pre-existing illnesses. Yeah. So in just a really weird way, we are frozen because like some people can't express themselves and say like, I'm willing to lose status in this meeting to say, you're all being ridiculous and cruel and awful. Yeah. We can't say that at a meeting because we're scared we'll lose our job and then our family won't have health insurance that will go into medical debt because we live in a country yeah. where, you know, you just yeah. die from needing yeah. medical attention instead yeah. of getting it. So like in a very progressive way, 
that's one that's one specific thing that like keeps a lot of people from from speaking up from advocating for themselves from expressing their ideas Um, and that leads all the way to play in a meeting we're trying to innovate and come up with things i'm not going to speak up if i think you might judge me because i don't want to lose my job because i'm scared of getting fired because i need this and so uh, that's a very progressive version of my view on that but I think a lot of it starts in that environment for people. Yeah. Um, and then that comes home. Parents who are overwhelmed, stressed, and uh, stuck in jobs that they hate because they need the insurance. They need that, yeah. there's no safety net. Uh, come home and then the kid wants to play and we're taught it's not time to play, it's time to be serious. It's really, it's really um, I think an epidemic, I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for sharing that story. and calling to attention with the ways that we structurally and systemically uh, prevent the very thing that can be helpful for us. Yeah. And we see all the time, like one of the things I see so often too, is that the, the, the play, the, the status bending thing is also related to like all of these things in power of what we deem as acceptable with what's acceptable for Meghan Markle to do versus, versus Kate. How is it acceptable for a woman to speak up versus a man? Um, How should you act in a meeting? All of those things are really related to play and self-expression and status because we have these rules, these ideas of how we're supposed to be, what's professional, what's not professional. And all of those things are going to continue to chip away at our ability to be playful because we just don't feel safe. and, And it requires that. Well, and you're also raising that, that those those rules of how do we behave were often put in place when it was really just white straight men who were the ones who were the, who were as the yeah. rules were established for right yeah. this this archetype even if not everybody fit that definition that was what you had to present as and so the playfulness you're talking about seems to me would also open our willingness to see that there are very different ways of coming in, being self-expressive, doing a job, doing it fantastically, but not necessarily fitting that original role as it was defined so narrowly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even down to like uh, vocally, right? You've heard of this thing called vocal fry. It's where the people have that like really like back here talking like, hey, how are you? Uh, and we always associate that if I showed you 20 pictures and I said, which people talk like this? It's most always women that we would point to. Mm-hmm. Um, what's funny is in media, it's, in media clips, it's just that men do it just as much as women do. We just don't uh-huh. care. We just don't call them out for it. Mm-hmm. And so it's another example of like, oh, that happens. I've had this even with clients um, where I've coached corporate teams. And we're talking about like how to how to appear on camera and it's you know one one there's women with children and they're like if my child showed up on camera i would be eviscerated but the men in the room if their kid shows up on camera it's like oh, that's a good trustworthy dad we should work with them but if she <laughs> does it if her kid interrupts the zoom call it's oh she isn't taking her job seriously like down to even that level where we're constantly in fear and if we're in fear we can't play we cannot play The stories we tell are an important part of how we lead, whether or not we are in a formal leadership role. In addition to coaching, Mike is the former producer of TEDx Cambridge, so he knows a bit about the power of story. You have this statement on your LinkedIn profile, 
You have stories to share. You have an impact to make. You have a world to change. Mm. I was particularly struck with that in thinking about how often when we think about changing the world or making an impact that can feel daunting, it can feel very serious. What do you see as the connection between story or play and having an impact? I don't really know how you can have an impact without both. <laughs> I mean, the the idea of anything changing is someone saying, I understand the current story that's going on and there's this one I see over there, right? Mm. That's that's the, the core of change is nobody changes unless they get uncomfortable with what exists yeah. and they believe that there's something better. Because a lot of times what happens when we approach change, uh, whether we're trying to do a, a talk a TEDx talk or a speech based on a change we want, we don't do a good enough job of getting people to see why the current story is untenable. Mm. And then why there is a, a realistic possible future that we can get to. Yeah. We just don't do a good enough job of contrasting those two. Yeah. And you can't talk about the future without a story because there is yeah. no future. It's always making up a story. So what is that story? And so yeah. I don't know how you can have an impact and tell a, a, a change-worthy mm -hmm. idea to people if you don't talk about what is and what could be. I mean, we can go back to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. with the I Have a Dream speech. It's It was yeah. about here's what is and I have a dream that it could be this way. It was yeah. about shining a light on the current situation and showing the story of what was possible. So I don't know how we can change the world if we don't lean into that. Yeah. And likewise, I don't know how we can test those ideas, how we can um, explore what's possible and create safety around, let's leave this land and go to that land, knowing that along the way, we don't have a straight path, mm. but we're gonna have to navigate. That to me feels like play. We're yeah. gonna have to test here, come back, go this way, go back. And I think without both, I don't know how we change the world. Yeah. If we're not willing to play a little bit and see where we might need to go back or try something else, it, it's hard to get from one narrative to another. Yeah. And you certainly end up in those places where uh, the, the dream dies, the future plan dies, because no one was willing to bend enough to say, like, yeah. this doesn't have to be that we can, we can test, we can iterate. And play is about iterating. Play is yeah. absolutely about iteration. So it's about saying, oh, we tried this game. It didn't work. Let's try a new bet and go over here. Let's take our pieces that worked, put them in this new game and see what we can build here yeah. and build that and, and doing that. It, I just don't know without seeing that as play, it becomes really exhausting and frightening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike, how do people stay connected with you if they want to continue to be inspired or get, get some help with a story that they want to tell or anything else? I'm easy to find once you figure out how to spell my last name, Ganino, G-A-N-I-N-O. I'm the Mike Ganino that you'll find on the internet when you type that in. <laughs> um, so that's my thing on all the socials. And over at the website, MikeGanino.com, we've got a cool little guide you can grab about becoming a transformational storyteller. So if you just pop over there, it pops up on the bottom. Or if you want the direct link, it's MikeGanino.com slash storycraft, which is all about the five stories we should be able to tell and, and how to tell them well, totally free. Oh, and yes. uh, yeah, and I'm over, you know, making TikToks and yelling at the patriarchy on Instagram and TikTok as well. So if that's your flavor, <laughs> uh, find me there. 
And I always like to end by asking, do you have one invitation to play that you would give to people who are looking to bring a little bit more play or a little bit more story into their professional lives? Yeah, the the first thing of being a playful storyteller really is about learning to see. It's really about learning to see. People all the time say, I don't have any stories. I don't have any stories. But you literally are experiencing things and making sense of them every day, which is a story. Mm. And so part of our challenge is learning to see differently. Mm. So my invitation would be to think about today and say, what was, what is a story that I experienced today? What is something I saw and I had a point of view or perspective on? Um, and that's really where you start because this isn't about yeah. story worthy things happening to you. It's yeah. about you being willing to see the story things that you're involved in every day. I love that. Is there a story you saw today? I have been sitting here on the computer all day speaking so uh, and talking with people. But one of the stories that I saw today was uh, a client who is speaking on a specific topic. And as she's talking about the topic, uh, I was saying, well, what about you could, you know, let's talk about this or talk about that. The, the very meta version of it was like through her, through me poking and being like, oh, this is fun. What if you played with that? What if you tried that? What if you tried that? She realized that the thing that she's speaking about was exactly what was stopping her from speaking about it in the way she wanted. So it'd be me like be oh. me saying like, oh, you should be really self-expressed and doing it. But the whole time I'm like really inhibiting myself. Yeah. And it's like, hey, this is interesting. What if we poke over here? And so there was this really interesting story there about the idea that sometimes we are we are our own medicine. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that, yeah. that the 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 thing that we want to go express and say in the world is really the thing that we also need and and are hearing. I think those are the kind of people I want to listen to. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pleasure talking today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. Reza Zaidi and Joanna Stevens created and provided the beautifully playful and reflective music you hear in this podcast. The song is titled Holding Rain. This podcast was created out of curiosity, and I hope you'll share your thoughts and questions with me. Email me at mary at maryhendra.com or join the conversation on LinkedIn, redefining play and reclaiming this leadership skill for its potential to bring authenticity and joy into our professional spaces.